it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 675 for March 11th, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. In the last Chit Chat Across the Pond light, Lindsay Tondi made her debut appearance where we talked about working from home. After the show published, Alistair Jenks wrote to me and told me that halfway through listening, he had to stop and start writing down notes for a recording he would have to make talking about his views on the same subject. I forwarded Alistair's message to Lindsay, and then I connected the two of them, and before I knew what was happening, they had decided that we're going to do a three-way chit-chat across the pond, which I think may have only ever happened once before. Anyway, with that, I'd like to reintroduce Lindsay Tondi, who is a biochemist working at a pharmaceutical company in California, and who happens to coincidentally be my daughter. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me back. Oh man, everybody loved having you on the show. I I, I think they like you better than me. And speaking oh. of people uh, that are liked better than me, I would like to welcome back to the show, Alistair Jenks, good friend, frequent contributor, and often host of the NoSilicast when I take vacations. Welcome to the show, Alistair. And if there's one silver lining to uh, people being stuck at home is that I don't have to fill in for those shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It's been a long time since you've had to fill in, but you like it. Uh, yeah, I like the result. <laughs> it's a lot of work, huh? It is. It is. But yeah, lots of respect for doing it every single week. Oh, well, thanks. Well, so where in the conversation did you come to the point where you thought, I need to talk about this? And what was, what was the angle that you started thinking that was maybe things we hadn't covered? I, th- I think it was the point um, where one of you said that you didn't know how to turn off at the end of the day. And I thought, well, I've got a, a really simple way to do that. I just quit an app and, and that's it. I'm not at work. So that was sort of the point at which I thought, hang on, you know, I've got some feedback here. And then I kept listening and then something else was said. And I thought, ah, but, and then I thought, ah, but, and so on and so on. And then I had to actually stop it and put my thoughts down. So that I didn't lose track of everything, which is what normally happens when I listen to podcasts, to be honest. <laughs> I have all these great pieces of feedback and then I finish listening and can't remember any of them. That's why I raise my <laughs> Apple Watch and I say, uh, uh, hey, S lady, remind me to tell Dave Hamilton, blah, 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 blah. And can you understand those messages later? <laughs> Not this week. That's a whole this- No, because everything is fiddly. <laughs> My watch was super fiddly this week. I said, uh, remind, well, it'll be on the show. Anyway, that's not the subject of today's show. So where do you, where do you want to take us in this conversation? Well, I thought, first of all, um, you both gave the your context, you know, and, and having wildly different experiences. And I think mine's different again in that working remotely is something that I've technically been doing for a long, long time. Uh, my current role, I'm one of six members of a team, and we are spread across three cities. And uh, we recently, well, not recently, over the last five to ten years, we got downsized. We, we you used to be ten people across four cities. So even if we're all in the office, we're in multiple locations, and you know we have a work-from-home policy pre these times where some number of people could work from home. So we would often have the six people in the team working from five separate locations anyway. And so the remoteness, you know, even if um, we're in the office, we're using remote tools all the time. So when this, uh, the lockdowns hit, we just sort of carried on. Instead of being in five locations, we were in six. Yay. <laughs> You're like, what are you guys all whining about? I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, 
so it, it's sort of been a necessity and and in fact in my previous job we were uh, a team all in one physical location but we had to deal with other teams in a separate city in New Zealand and also and this was the fun one we had a team in Vancouver and a team in the United Kingdom now those three time zones of New Zealand west coast north america and the uk is uh, it's, it's just horrible. We just gave up on meetings in March and October. It wasn't worth it. <laughs> when everybody totally was, impossible. Is that when everybody was flipping to daylight saving time and back and at different times? Yeah. And you know how I can handle time zones like a boss, but <laughs> no, nah, not doing it. So many people miss meetings. It just, just wasn't worth it. Um, so, yeah, but my current role when we went into lockdown, the, the the business were starting to send out messaging saying, hey, you should use this Microsoft Teams things. Everyone's got it installed. And it, we were like, yeah, we've been using that this for like two years. Oh, and you can do calling in it. It's like, yep, we do that on a regular basis. Oh, and you can sort of, you know, get in a, a chat and just sort of keep each other up to date. And it's, yep, that's what we do. And so we just, I mean, it was kind of entertaining to watch everybody discover it when we'd been doing it for years so were you guys like just totally the pros showing everybody how to do it uh until we learned not to uh, speak up on that front yes because <laughs> a lot of people were saying you know oh how do you do this and how do you do that and it's like well just go where to learn it you can go and learn it <laughs> beware of being too helpful yeah um that's that's a that's a life lesson that one <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, every day, in fact, we started it, uh, before teams, we had Skype for business, which has its issues before Skype for business. We had something else whose name I forget, uh, going back before that, we had something else still. And we, because we were, a uh, you know, massively spread team, we just got used to the idea of hanging out in a chat window. That's just what we do. And it was Sometimes it's, well, okay, often it's work, I should say, but sometimes it's just shooting the breeze or taking the mickey out of people or discussing the news or, or sports or whatever. But it's it's basically our hangout because we're in so many different places all the time. What was that, taking the mickey out of people? Uh, making fun of people. Um, <laughs> we we each have our, our topics. <laughs> about which others will constantly uh, rib us. There you go. Is that perhaps a better phrase? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, we're going to be using that, taking the mickey out of someone. Nice. I would have thought, oh, yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's uh, an English phrase. Might be. So you mentioned uh, way back using something different. You've given us some notes here. I see you mentioned Lotus Same Time. And... Uh, that's the the software that I was talking about. I think I talked about with Lindsay where she uh I was on a team that they wanted me to help promote same time for chatting for just real time chat and I thought that it was the stupidest thing ever and I told them no I wouldn't support it. But then when I came home Lindsay had inside of like three and a half minutes organized twelve people to go to Disneyland using chat and I was like, Ooh, maybe this is something real. Oh, that's interesting. That Yes, that was uh, in a previous role where we had uh, a, an application called VP Buddy. And I think I was like one of the first half dozen people in the company to use it. And I was pushing it because we thought it was great. Now, the company was IBM. 
and they bought Lotus at some point, and so Lotus same time became the messaging tool of choice. And that was fantastic because it was very simple and focused. And we had access to 300,000 employees around the world. Hmm. And that was a, a, I tried to sell people on this uh, many times over that what a huge resource that we had uh, right at our fingertips. And we used it a couple of times after we had a problem with a, a server that we couldn't fix. You know, we poured over the manuals, still couldn't figure it out, tried a few things. No, it's not working like it should. I wonder if we can find somebody who might know about this. So we went to the company directory and we looked up names and we just tapped them out a message and said, hey, can you help? And you know what? A lot of people are really helpful when you contact them and ask for, you know, ask them for their assistance. Huh. It's a huge boon. Interesting. The challenge I've run into now, though, at least with being available on Teams, is people really seem to expect that you will respond quickly. And um, I think that's one thing where if it's an email, you know, you might you might respond within the day. But on via chat, um, at least our culture, people typically respond within 30 seconds to a minute. Hmm. Do you have the, is it like culturally poor form to put, you know, I'm away or do not disturb or in a meeting? That's what, um, that's what I definitely had to do is set specific focus times for myself where it shows like a do not disturb symbol. Um, but I, I have definitely seen, at least at my work, if people have the little red dot showing that they're in a meeting, um, it's free game to, to message them and people still will and people will absolutely respond too. I don't know if you've seen that too, Alistair. I, I find it works at different levels. Like people within my team, I will message them if they're showing busy and they will potentially message me. But outside of my team, I won't. Hmm. You know, it's, I think the, the better you know people, the more you know when you can interrupt them and when you can't, and and also judge for yourself how important um, whatever you want to talk about actually is. But one of the things I've worked out with people who um, we know each other, but we don't, you know, we're not closely working together all the time, is because they know me perhaps more so than uh, other people in the team, they will tend to contact me first rather than go through um, an official channel. And we have official channels for people to get support. I mean, we're a support team uh, in an IT organization. So the official channel is through email. And occasionally people who know me will contact me via a chat window. And I've said it to several of them. I've said, you know, one person asked me once, do you mind me contacting you this way? And I said, no, I don't, but just understand that I may just respond, can you send an email? And, you know, it will go into the queue and someone, maybe me, maybe not, will deal with it. So that's, it's sort of almost a, a contract is that, yeah, you can try it. And if I'm not busy, you know, and or I've got a quick answer, I might just fire it back at you because that, you know, saves you time. It's, uh, it doesn't cost me time and you don't have to join the queue. That's absolutely fine. But if I'm busy, then it goes in the queue. I would think the thing, Lindsay, what you were talking about, about having people in meetings and some people you'll interrupt and some you won't, like what Alistair was talking about, would be partly a trust thing. 
like with Alistair's small team where they all know each other, you know that if you interrupt somebody, they they know where you're coming from, what your expectations are, the the likelihood that you would be asking a really long, complex question when they were showing red. If you're interrupting them, you probably are just going to go, uh, hey, what was what was that uh, keyword we were going to use on this thing? You know, it'd just be really quick. Uh, but if it's just some random person writing to you, you're like, well, I've got to be polite. I've got to, you know, there's a formality to it. If you don't know each other really well, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we, our default has been teams over calling anybody for sure. Um, but less so about who you're talking to, but more so about like how that person sets their boundaries. Because I know a lot Mm. of people in my organization do have trouble, like we talked about before, setting their own boundaries. So, you know, they have Teams notifications on their phone. So if I happen to be working late and I think of something I need to shoot them, I need to gauge that person and think, are they, you know, do they have notifications on their phone? Is this going to wake them up at night because I'm shooting them a message? And so there's just all of that, um, diplomacy, I guess, in in trying to figure out the best way to get a hold of somebody. Well, also, as a as a leader of people, you end up with a different dynamic altogether. I remember distinctly the day I realized that if I asked somebody to do something, so I was head of an organization that did support like what Alistair does, and I found out that people would drop a customer to do some dumb thing I asked him to do. It's like, you know, there's flame shooting out of this person's computer and I need something for an ops review. Like, who cares? If the ops review could never happen and it would be fine. Anything anything I ask you, chances are it's not important versus what a customer needs. And I didn't realize that they would do that because I'm the kind of person I would tell my boss, well, no, there's flame shooting out of the computer, but not everybody is. So talk about what their boundaries are. You might ask somebody something at seven at night and they think, oh, if Lindsay's asking, I better do it for her right away. So you've got to watch out yeah. as a leader, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, the having it on your phone, I mean, there are people in my team who have said, I'm not putting that on my phone. My time is my time. But we do all... Um, not expect, but we accept that we could be called at any time. I mean, we have a, an on-call roster for uh, issues that occur. And we each have our own areas of expertise, as I said. So sometimes, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and you're, you're staring at the screen wondering what on earth is going wrong and you just can't figure it out. Well, I know who's the expert in this. I'll give them a call. And we do, you know, and I've called people at 2 a.m. and very apologetically and said, look, I'm just lost on this and it's fairly serious. Can you help me out? And I've got help. And similarly, I've been called at, at uh, you know, an ungodly hour and, and helped somebody out. That's something that we have within our team that that interruptibility is there anyway. So it doesn't matter if you've got teams on your phone, but for anybody else, I probably wouldn't message them out of hours unless there was a an expectation that there was a piece of work going on they'd be available. So it's it's just not the done thing. Or if I did send a message, it might be um, I'll send it now while I think of it. Say so you'll see it in the morning, and if I get a response, it'll be like oh, uh, don't worry about it. Just like tomorrow's fine. 
Well, so working from home versus when you were in the office uh, was, and your answers are probably going to be completely different between the two of you, but is, have we just shifted email into messaging? Is that, that's all that's really happened. There's just as much of a barrage of questions and information flowing. It just moved to a different medium that we thought was really cool at first. Uh, Let me, let me ask Lindsay first. In a way, yes. Um, my company has a very strict retention policy on our team's chat. So anything older than seven days is gone. Um, so if it's important, you send it in an email. Um, if it's quick answer, you send it in teams, but, um, so yes, I think it has shifted in a way. Um, but one of the downsides of that too, is I'll notice if somebody sends me a message, you know, in the evening and, I'm pretty much about to log off for the day. I won't remember that they sent it to me by the next morning. And Mm. so I will completely forget to respond. So um, yeah, to answer your question, um, yes, I think it has shifted in a way, but there's still some things, at least in my organization, that really should continue via email. But I mean, is the the sum of emails and and uh, chats together bigger or smaller or the same as the amount of things you used to get all in email I think actually what it took over most of is the walking down the hall and talking oh, to a person because there is no hall <laughs> right yeah okay so so it is now quantifiable in a way that wasn't quantifiable before <laughs> I see yeah how about you Alistair what do you think on that I think for me, it's probably nothing's actually changed. But I was just thinking about that as Lindsay was talking, you know, walking down the hall. Most people who require our help aren't actually in the same office. So you know, we, have, we have multiple sites in multiple cities. And probably I'm, I guess, the one most likely to actually have somebody walk up to me and, and ask me something. But I don't think it's actually that common. People have got used to using that formal channel of email. And I guess somebody might come to my desk if it's like, hey, I've got this conundrum and I want to talk it over with you rather than can you help me with something or provide me with something. So, yeah, I I don't think it's changed a lot because I just didn't get a lot of walk-ups before. And, And by the same token, I didn't go and visit other people that often, again, unless it was a this is a deep discussion and I have basically an idea of what I want to know, but I can't explain it in an email. So I just want to have a back and forth with someone. So how long have you been a hermit? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask a similar thing. I was going to ask, so this, this whole experience probably hasn't been that lonely for you then because that this has just stayed normal. Ah, it's, it's a, it's a dichotomy because I used to hate working from home. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, we have an option to work from home one day a week. That's what our, our boss's boss's boss set for some reason. And I just never did. I mean, I did if I had an appointment locally or, you know, I needed to do something in, in, in the area of my home during the day, then I would and I'd hate it. And I'd go back into the office at the first opportunity. Hmm. And so when we started lockdown, I was like, oh, no, this is this is going to be disgusting. And I just got used to it. And 
I sort of thought, well, actually, this isn't so bad. And then the lockdown level sort of lifted a bit here. And it's like, you can go back into the office now, but you have to social distance and you have, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll stay at home. It's easier. So all of a sudden, I'm preferring working at home. But when it got to the point where we could go back into the office with no real uh, you know, imposition on, on our regular lives, it was like, oh, I need to go back into the office. I need to go in bed. Oh, you, and oh really? So, I started going back in and I, you know, I've been going in, I mean, I had health problems, which complicated that recently, but, you know, for the last week I had an appointment on Wednesday. So I worked from home on Wednesday, but I went in four days a week. And for me, and this was another point that I thought was an interesting different to Lindsay. I love my commute. I always have. It's part of it's part of who I am, actually, because what I, I mean, I, I drive to a local railway station. I, I, I shouldn't. There's, there's one 10 minutes walk away and I could absolutely do it. But there's a dirty great hill on the way home and some days you just don't feel like it. <laughs> so I, I drive and I only drive five minutes to the railway station and then I pace up and down the platform till the train comes. I sit on the train for about 15 minutes and then I walk up Wellington's waterfront. And that bit is, I absolutely adore it. It's my basic level of exercise. It's my zone out time. I've usually got my AirPods in listening to podcasts or music. And I get to the office and, and, you know, I think, Lindsay, you said about your problem with working from home is not having that decompressed time that, you know, one moment you're working and one moment you're not and and your brain doesn't know how to actually just flip that switch. So that's why I like the commute, as as you mentioned, now that you've got your your 30-minute drive. That's the that's your alone time. That's your you time. And for me, that's my me time, and I absolutely love it. So you don't have um, children yelling at you in the car on your commute then, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, depending where the school's in, there are children yelling on the train. So. <laughs> I, that's Lindsay, what noise cancellation's for. Lindsay calls uh, me on her way home sometimes, and it her daughter it, it, Sienna is just under a year year old, and her conversational style is basically ah! like she's happy, but she just screams for no reason. <laughs> and then the, the one half of my commute is very pleasant when I'm alone, and then the other half is chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> but it does get your mind off of work. It, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> so how much of the success of working from home matters about the tools that are available today versus the kind of tools that used to be available? Uh, Alistair? I, I think modern tools, uh, perhaps because we're used to them in our personal lives as well, that we just or a lot of people understand them better and just it's just part of who you are that you communicate through online tools. But, you know, when I compare um, Teams versus Skype for Business, uh, Teams works really well at running on my Mac at home, my laptop at work, on my phone, you know, anywhere. I can just about sign into it on any computer. Skype was a bit of a pain in that respect because every instance of it was was its own thing and you could lose conversations and it was just a mess. So the ubiquity and um, consistency of Teams is actually a huge boon to using it um, to communicate effectively. Are you saying it's like not example, 
It's not, no, actually, it's probably one of the least fiddly things I use, except for the odd disappearing window. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, an example is we have our um, our daily chat within the team, which is us, uh, the six of us, and another person who used to be a member of our team who's now no longer, but he sort of keeps an eye on things, and he's got a lot of uh, historic expertise as well. Um. And so that's just going all day with people just saying, is anybody using this or is anybody doing that? Or does anybody mind if I do X, Y, or Z? But if I'm the person on call and I go out at lunchtime and I get a call, I can just flip up teams on my phone saying, hey, I just got a call. Can somebody deal with it? And I don't even really need to see the response then because when I get back in the office, I can just pick up on the same conversation. So that persistence of, of teams everywhere is actually really, really useful. I wonder but if that's I bad did, for uh, people who don't, who like to live a more uninterrupted workflow. You know, I, I remember mentoring people that worked for me and trying to figure out what kind of jobs were best for them. I would ask them, you know, what is your ideal day like? And one person would say, oh, man, it was awesome. People were in and out of my office all day and I was helping them fixing their problems. And a different person would say, oh, it was an awesome day. Nobody bothered me all day. And I wonder about that second group of people. They can't get away from people now. Yeah, that's a... a a job role uh, uh, a mutual um, friend of ours Dr. Marianne Gary likes to point out uh, studies about open plan offices and how they just don't work and I've disagreed with her on that on a couple of occasions because I agree they don't work for certain people and if your job is you're given a piece of paper on Monday and two weeks from now you have to deliver something and you don't need anybody else then it would absolutely stink. But I've worked my entire life supporting people and the back and forth across the floor, just you know, with the people around you uh, and the ability to just get up and walk over and see somebody. And yes, I know you can walk into an office, but I think an office door can be a barrier sometimes. So for me, the, the open planness of offices and, and the yeah, sometimes the interruptions are a pain, but you know, sometimes just rave a hand saying, sorry, and they'll walk away. So you do have to get used to it, I think. But maybe these yeah, people I'm talking um, about shouldn't have been in support roles. <laughs> well, if you don't want to be bothered, that is the thing. Yeah, uh, some people do their best work just head down and just you know just bashing out code or 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 words or or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's just not my experience. I love that you mentioned the open floor plan. Um, my office the majority of our office is these big wavy sort of desks with no barriers in between anybody. Um, so it is as open as you can be, um, which was really unfortunate when a pandemic hit um, <laughs> because there was nothing separating everybody. <laughs> like a good idea at time. Exactly. Um, but pre-pandemic, I loved the open floor plan because we would You'd turn to your buddy and be like, hey, I'm stuck on this this weird chromatography issue. Can you take a look? And it would be solved instantly. And um, But now, of course, they had to go up and put like clear barriers in between each person's desk so that they're somewhat separated from each other. Um, but you also <laughs> did mention uh, that early on you found that 
if if somebody was was sitting right next to you, they would ask you the answer to a question that they could have looked up, but it was easier for them to just lean over and say, hey, Lindsay, blah, 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 because you knew so much. They were just always pinging you and you're like, dude, you could look some stuff up yourself. That is, yeah, that is very true. That That's definitely one of the downsides, I would say. Um, and I still find that with people pinging me on Teams where I'm like, you know exactly where to find this. Can you work for, work on it for a couple of minutes and then ask me if you're stuck? <laughs> if, you, if you know the people well enough, I find a, a good defense on that is just to turn around with a, a wicked grin and just say, I don't know. <laughs> even though they know full well you do it's just basically a message to say go figure it out <laughs> my favorite person who uh would get around that problem with me was uh my, was um oh god all of a sudden his name is a blanket niraj my buddy niraj he would uh he knew everything about web development we were working on some web development stuff together and i would ask him a question and he would give me just the barest sliver of information necessary to start looking for it and then not answer me in text for like an hour. And so I would sit there waiting and waiting, wait, God, he's not getting back to me. Finally, I would resort to trying to figure it out on my own. And he, but he, he wouldn't completely ignore me, but he'd give me enough to make me have to go fish on my own. <laughs> if he give, well, give a, a woman a fishing pole, right? And <laughs> she'll beat you over the head with it. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> But one of the other things about asking people um, sort of organically that I think the, the online world works a lot better with, you know, I was um, working with a colleague in a different city, of course, because there's nobody in my team in my city. Um, we were planning some work that's coming up and we were on a team's call and sharing a, a spreadsheet or, or whatever, wherever we were recording this information and it was like, well, how should we deal with this? And it's like, uh, um, well, maybe we should ask Liz. So somebody, well, one of us messaged Liz, says, hey, you're free for a call, and dragged her in. And we got what we wanted from her, and we let her go. And then we said, right, we think we've got that right. Um, the boss said he wanted it. I guess we should tell him, are you available now? And we just dragged him in. So we had one call that was essentially – well, four separate um, calls. And, you know, we had our original planning session. Then we brought in the third person to discuss one aspect of it. And then we brought in the boss to tell him, you know, how we thought it was going to go. And then finally we sort of did a, a sort of close down call just between the two of us again. And that, you know, I mean, again, people in different places. But if you're working from home, that's going to be the case a lot of the time. So you can still have that organic um, conversation approach through the tools because you can just drag people in and out of conversations, both chat and um, calls slash video. I like that because I, I I don't think I dislike anything in, or, in uh, work less than trying to organize people together. Like when the two of you said you wanted to do a three-way conversation here, my first thought was, oh, that just sounds really hard. It's time zones and it's a different day. And it'll, and you guys went, how about this time? And it was like, oh, that works for everybody. I guess we can. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a cool new feature in Outlook um, that is called, it's called like meeting poll or something. Alistair, have you seen it? No. Um, it's, it's pretty snazzy. It's kind of like a, 
basically a, an embedded meeting poll invitation where you send it to a group of people and you get um, people to say, I love this time. I could make this time work if I had to, or this time does absolutely doesn't work for me. Um, I thought it was a pretty cool, cool addition to Outlook, given the, oh. the state that we're in. The, uh, there's a, a software tool, a, a web-based tool called Doodle that does that, where, mm. where yeah. you basically say that, and then you look at how many, it'll show you the most number of people can come at this time. And you can figure yeah. out who you're inconveniencing, like maybe one person, <laughs> oh, they're kind of above me, I better not inconvenience them, I'll inconvenience somebody else. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a really cool idea, and I, I know Bart uses it for his podcasts. Um to get a panel together but he's looking for who can make it to to make up numbers whereas i think in the office where you you need specific people it it could get a little bit more complex and i do wonder if there's an upper limit to the number of people that could actually successfully poll for a a valid meeting time and not just spend a week trying to find it yeah I don't want to sound elitist, but the best day of my life was when I got to the level that I had a, an administrative assistant and I could say, I need Bob, Ted and Alice at to talk about this, make it go. And then she would like 10 minutes later, go, here's what time you're meeting. It's like, okay, thank you. Life got easier. Oh, lovely. Oh, it was, well, it was Lindsay crazy. managed that when she was a kid, Allison. You've already <laughs> just described that one. Well, that's because of that whole uh, uh, text messaging thing that I thought was stupid. Yeah, and and perhaps a bunch of kids who really wanted something. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll make it work if it means going to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're it's, able. Uh, oh, sorry, Alistair. Sorry, I was just going to say one other um, example, which I've I've long remembered as why I love the the text messaging approach was in Lotus same time, and this was back when I had a company laptop, and yes, I could dial into work. I think it was a 56K modem. It was it was mm-hmm. the cool stuff. Built in too. And I was homesick one day. And it's like, no, I'm definitely not going into the office. I'm feeling you know absolutely horrible. But there's this important thing going on and it can't stop because there's a deadline. So I got the phone cord out and I snaked it across the other side of the room into the phone socket and I dialed in and I got hold of two people on the same time one in my office in Wellington and one in our office in Auckland and started talking to them both separately. And then I said, I need you to contact this person in the UK. I then got hold of them in a separate session and said, I'm going to hand you over to this person. And then I dragged them into the same chat, did a sort of an intro and then said, right, I'm going, I'll leave you to it. So I basically facilitated two people who'd never spoken to one another in completely separate countries to have a conversation without me and then left them to it. Oh, that that strikes, me as diffi- to- strikes me as difficult in any other medium. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious. It sounds like you're able to have the familial chatting goofing around stuff going on the way you described it's it's mostly professional stuff you've you've managed (laughs) to still have online friendships with people that you're never seeing well the funny thing is that as i said earlier i joined uh this team 13 years ago and i'm the i'm not the newest i'm not the second newest actually but the most recent person to join was, I think, in 2012, maybe 2013. So he's the new guy. Um, 
but shortly after that, our then new boss uh, decided that he was going to get everybody together in the same place, and everybody came to Wellington, and we, you know, planned some time together, you know, look, doing talks about our expert areas and stuff like that and going out to lunch. And we were all sitting in a room in the office in a meeting room, and our team lead said something really interesting. This is the first time the whole team has been together in 12 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and guess what? I think that stands as still the only time in now, well, many more than 12 years. <laughs> but do you feel so, that those people are friends? I, I do. In fact, I, I had to travel um, to one of our other locations, and one of the guys said, um, do you want to stay at our place? And I said, yeah, <laughs> rather than some random hotel in the middle of the city. And it's like, I didn't really know that much about the city. I'd been there maybe twice before. So I stayed with uh, him and his family out on his, his farm property, actually not far from where Dr. Gary lives. <laughs> and it was fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, they, they are friends. It seems like I can picture that happening mostly because you and I are friends. Bart and I are friends, you know, uh, but we've met in real life one time, right? Yeah. Uh, no, is it twice? It's twice. Twice. No, twice, twice in real yeah. life. Uh, I've only met Bart once and, of course, dear friends, right? I mean, I could easily, if you were coming here, you would stay at my house. There's no doubt. So I know that that's possible, but it seems like in a work environment, like what I, I keep thinking back to what Lindsay talked about, about people who joined the company after COVID and a lot of, essentially most of your team, right, Lindsay, joined after your, mm -hmm. after COVID started, they had no way to ever start to get to know people where the other people already knew each other from the physical environment. And I think maybe that's where it makes it harder. When you've got a mixed environment like that? Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's that it's mixed and depending on where where this all goes, if we stay semi remote, which it's it seems like we might end up, um, then maybe it'll be more like your guys' stories where you start those relationships remote and it never feels weird because that's just how it's been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, historically, I have met everybody in my team multiple times. So I, I sort of have this this mental picture of who they are whenever I'm, you know, even if I'm just talking purely in voice, um, obviously their voice is familiar, but I can picture them in my head and I think I do. So that probably helps a lot, I think, rather than somebody you've never, you know, you've only had this 2D image of in front of you. Actually, that brings up a question. I've heard a lot of people talk about groups where nobody will turn on their video. Do you guys turn on video <laughs> when you talk to each other? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> early on in the in the lockdown, our boss said, right, we're going to have a daily call and I would like you to turn on video. And some people never did. A lot of us did. Some people sort of stopped doing it. I wasn't doing it a lot because at the time my computer at home was a Mac Mini and I didn't have a webcam and I could get my iPhone to act as one, but it was everything is fiddly. And yeah, when I when I got it working it was great, but uh, you know, I was complimented on the video quality because of course everyone else was using, you know, Dell computers webcams, which aren't great. But 
so it was fiddly for me, but you know, some people did, and some people clearly did not want to be seen in video, even though everyone's met them in real life, which I don't quite understand. And then it just sort of fell by the wayside, and now our meetings are three times a week because we're sort of in and out of uh, lockdowns and not going into the office. And then recently uh, the boss said, let's try video again. And once again, the same people turn it on and the same people don't. Huh. I have a, a funny story related to that. Um, when So I think I mentioned last time that I was on maternity leave right when the pandemic hit. And um, so when I came back, I was coming into a new environment and I went backwards in my email. So I came back in August. I started looking at my emails from August going back into March. So it, it was kind of like I was living the pandemic in reverse, mm. going back through all of my emails. <laughs> And I got, and, it, and so I went to one of my first meetings and I, I asked my boss beforehand, what's the etiquette? Do people turn their cameras on? She's like, no, nobody turns their cameras on. And so I'm going back in these emails and I finally get to the beginning. And one of our senior leaders sent out a message saying, you know, we need to stay connected. We need to feel like we are with each other. So we strongly encourage everybody to keep their cameras on. <laughs> And then lo and behold, four months later, it's like not a single person has their camera on. I think it's because people like to sit in their PJs too much. <laughs> well, it seems like there could be a lot of reasons. There's PJs, there's, you know, cleaning up the room behind them. I mean, I do a lot of stuff just even for a call like this to uh, to the audience. We are looking at each other, the three of us, but uh, it isn't being broadcast. Um, but, uh, you know, I clean up the background. I make sure the lighting is right. And I can see that being, you know, a messy bed or kids running around or whatever would be annoying. But isn't there also the it's just exhausting to have meetings like that all the time? I mean, there's something Absolutely. exhausting about it, right? Yeah. One of my best friends who's been remote um, for a few years, her job has like you, Alistair, has been routinely remote. Um she says they always have their cameras on and it is very exhausting. The Zoom fatigue is is a real thing, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess our call is maybe we'll get to half an hour and, you know, now it's three times a week. So and that's the it's only not meeting that you're much. in? That, well, that's the only regular meeting where okay. cameras are expected and and. Yeah, I don't think in general cameras would be used any other time within uh, my team or the people that I talk with. I do sit next to another team who are fond of having their cameras on. Um, and I tell you what can be fun with that is the backgrounds. Uh, in teams, you can set your background and s some people's choices are really interesting. Although I, I kind of uh, caught myself out recently. I, I saw a... I think it was a tweet online and somebody had written a story about um, uh, an article about cool Russian Soviet area control rooms. And I thought, oh, okay. And, and there was a header picture on there and I thought that looks kind of, you know, retro. <laughs> and I found the article and I thought, oh, these are cool, but oh, I can use these as teams backgrounds. Brilliant. <laughs> so, so I, downloaded the photos and I got them installed into Teams for use as a background and I just you know, turned it on one day and other people in the team came on the call and they said, are you in Chernobyl? And it's like, <laughs> why do you say that? And I kid you not, the previous night, I think it was Netflix had released, released a documentary oh. which three people in the team had seen about Chernobyl and I had just randomly chosen the Chernobyl control oh, room behind me. <laughs> 
I'm thinking, what? <laughs> not, not <laughs> Why funny. is this Chernobyl? <laughs> not funny, right? <laughs> uh, one strategy funny. that I was going to say, just uh, one strategy that I like to use, my mantra is sort of that if I'm running a meeting, I like to have my camera on so people can kind of feel like there's a direction and, and my hand movements and, and my facial expressions. I feel like when you're running a meeting, it feels more like there's direction when somebody has their camera on. It does feel a little bit like I'm talking to an empty room because nobody else has their camera on. But <laughs> um, I heard a thing on uh, DTNS on Tom Merritt's Daily Tech News show, and I don't have the source, unfortunately, but I could find it if anybody wants it, talking about ways to combat Zoom fatigue. And one of them was was really interesting. It was make the picture smaller. So I tend to try to blow people up. Like you guys are like six or eight inches on a side in, in a square for me right now. But they say, if you're constantly faced with these big pictures of people looking at you, you know, they're like, it's it's more invasive psychologically than if you make them smaller thumbnails. Interesting. I feel like I would go do other things on my on my desktop if if everybody was tiny i'd see all my other windows and do other work <laughs> see i think that's what everybody's doing i think that's one of the biggest reasons people don't want to be on video is you don't want to see me down like this typing away yeah yeah i think also i mean there are people in my family who if i get my camera out and pointed at them will shy away so there's mm. possibly just some of that just playing picture today huh well, could always use my my approach to family cameras, which is I'm going to look like an idiot anyway, so I might as well ham it up and make it obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Own it, right? Now, Lindsay, your your company. I don't think we talked about this. If we did, just cut me off because you know I repeat myself. Um, your company is actually talking now about whether you might keep a lot of remote work in, in after things settle out. Yeah, at the way we stand now, which may change, um, depending on the function, I think you're going to kind of get to choose what you want as long as you are there when you need to be there. So it seems like my group, we're about 60% um, on site and some people hate it. So they're 100% on site. Other people love it. So they want to go a little more toward 40% on site. And it seems to be working because everybody's used to being remote that People kind of get to do what works best for them and their family. Oh, that's good. What, Alistair, you guys have gone completely back to work, you said, except back to work doesn't mean you're near anybody that you work with. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's it's been really interesting because there was, before all of this, uh, a tendency to not trust people. And I know you two spoke about this last time about, you know, whether this person is going to be productive at home. And, and Alison, you said there were some people It's just like, no way, I'm not going to let you out of the office. And there was certainly some of that, but there were uh, people higher in management who had this idea that nobody can be trusted to work at home. And that's where our work, home, work from home one day a week. And by the way, that day is not Monday or Friday, thank you very much. It's Wednesday, Thursday, oh, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. Hmm. And that happened because some some high up manager walked into the office one day uh, in an area where his you know several levels down team should be, and was staring at a bunch of empty desks, and he just apparently lost it and said, "Right, no more of this working from home shenanigans." And I think some people were actually 
sort of taking advantage of the situation and you know there were studies done that showed that an awful lot of people were working from home or sick on Fridays um, more so than you know the middle of the week fancy that <laughs> but now um, because we spent so long working from home and even as our um, alert levels have relaxed to the point where from uh, an official point of view you can go into offices we still hold the off certain offices particularly where our data centers are to be off limits in those those levels and it's only when we get back to our most relaxed level that they open those up and say everybody can go in and so We've been in and out of, of the the um, sort of mid-levels a couple of times since the, the main lockdown that we had. And so now I think there's just this fatigue of constantly changing the rules. And it's just like, you know what, if you work from home, that's cool. It works. And, and I think it's down to the individual managers to some extent that it's just like carry on doing what's best for you. If you're allowed to go into the office and you want to, cool. If you want to stay at home, even though you could go into the office, also cool. So it's just sort of, you know, not such a big deal anymore. I'm more in favor of there should be a reason for the rules, not the whim of the manager. And the reason I say that is our, um, I forget if I've told this story, I probably have because I've repeated every story, but um, <laughs> I had a, a guy working for me who uh, his wife wanted him to buy them to buy a house that was going to be a really long distance from work, literally like an hour and 45 minutes from where we where we worked. And he said, you know, I'll basically become an axe murderer if I have to do that commute you know, five days a week, could I work three days a week from home and two days a week in the office? And all of his work was working with people back east. So there was literally no reason he should have to come to the office at all. But anyway, he I, I said, yes, I commit to you that I will let you do that. And uh, so he bought the house. And about a month after he bought the house, they uh, took my organization away from me and a different guy was in charge. And he said, no, I don't let anybody work from uh, work from home. And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm not joking. This guy drove 45 minutes to get on a bus to drive an hour to get to work one way. And uh, so the the whims of the manager idea of they get to make the rules, I, I disagree. I think it should be based on can you do your job effectively from home? If your job is is having to do wet signatures in the office, nope, you have to be at work. If your job is working with people back east and you're not even working in this time zone, then you should be allowed to work from home. He ended up tricking the system. I was just telling Lindsay this story the other day. He found an office for another branch of our company that was like 35 minutes from his house. But this is a branch of the company that didn't even know who he was, but he went in there and he got somebody to let him use a, a cubicle there. So he would drive this 35 minutes to go <laughs> sit in a cubicle near nobody he knew and nobody he worked with. And he worked there and the boss said, okay, that's fine. You're not working from home. So you're not violating my policy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think some bosses are the problem. <laughs> oh yeah. Clearly, clearly. Well, this, I mean, our boss was was heavily on the the thou shalt not work from home, and you know, and this is a good reason early on, and now he's completely okay with it. So, attitudes change, I, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of attitudes may have changed in the last year, and and the fact that it's gone on for so long, you can now see the patterns, right? You can see mm -hmm. what works, you can see what doesn't work for your team, or which people are effective when they're at home, and which people are not. I would I would expect Lindsay, have you been able to tell? 
that who's effective and who's not working from home? Absolutely. Can yep. we have their names? Oh, wait, no, that probably <laughs> wouldn't be good. <laughs> Everybody's perfect at it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you can tell, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been real interesting. Did we, uh, we didn't follow your diagram at all, Alistair, to have the not conversation. Not even close, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought the, it was, it was very interesting. Do you, uh, is there anything we missed that you wanted to definitely get in? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it was a whole, well, I suppose I'll do a, a brief on, um, non real time communication and, because this is something that it's, it's actually shaped my career a bit. Uh, it's become something I've been known for. If people interrupt you because they need to know how to do something, then the best defense you have at stopping those interruptions is write it down somewhere, make it available, and make sure people know where it is. Hmm. And the better job you do of that, the less people interrupt you. Uh, you know, People used to say, oh, you write documentation. How, how quaint. And it's like, ah, Yes. But my ulterior motive is I'm lazy. I don't want to deal with people. I just want to write it down once, get it right, shove it in people's faces and say, go look it up for yourself. And it works. And then next time you send them the link again and again and again, right? Yep. Yep. Now, do people always know where to find that? Because sometimes I'll do that and I'll I'll put it somewhere where I have no idea where people can go find it and access it later. (laughs) That that is one of the challenges. you do have to find it's it's similar to the real time stuff. You do have to find the right tools and the right ways of putting that information. I mean, you know, when I first discovered this fact, uh, we did a massive, massive communication campaign saying it's here, it's here, it's here. And people would still come and ask you and you say, go look it up. Or where can I look it up? Seriously, go read your emails. Or they'd email you and saying, can you give me this? And you respond with just a link no words just a link and eventually people got the idea and they just started leaving us alone it was great i like that passive aggressiveness i'm I'm gonna try that (laughs) i do like that pretty much every person who's ever worked in support that i know including myself our entire objective is to get people to stop talking to us yeah I was once taught uh, an interesting passive-aggressive approach, which is always be polite in your emails until you intend not to be. Oh. So, you know, if, if Lindsay emails me about something and I'd say, hi, Lindsay, you know, please go and look it up for yourself. And then Lindsay would come back to me and say, no, but I really need it. And then I would say, hi, Lindsay, here's the direct link to the information. And Lindsay would come back to me again and I'd say, Lindsay, and you just leave out the hi, and it suddenly because they're used to your tone, it suddenly sounds harder and they might take more notice of it that time. Nice. Be polite until you intend not to be. I like that. Yeah. I think mine is be sarcastic until you intend not to be. Kind of, <laughs> I start there. And when will that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter learned it for me. There we go. I like it. All right. Well, I think we could go on for a long time, but I am going to cut us off. Alistair, for anybody who's not following you, what's the best way to find you online? Uh, I think my website is still up to date and working, zkarj.me. And I think everything is on there. All right. And uh, if you if you look for zkarj just about anywhere on Twitter, in Slack, uh, that's where you can find you too, right? It's me. All right. And Lindsay, how can people find you? 
I think we mentioned, let's see, Twitter, Idaho Monkeys, M-O-N-K-E-E-S. All right, great. Well, thank you both for coming on. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCast ways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. Stay subscribed.